Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this situation. Thank you for this day. Um, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, to be a mouthpiece for you, Lord, to be a mouthpiece for, for what you want to say to your people. Um, and I ask for your strength, Lord. I ask for your grace. I ask for your mercy, Lord. I ask for your Holy Spirit to empower me so that I can communicate accurately what you want your people to hear. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, Lord, what we are about to dive into, the heart of Christianity. So hard is this word, Lord, that I had to pause as I was preparing for it. But you've deemed it well that we should hear this. So give us grace, Lord, to to take everything that you are given to us today and as you are challenging us to love you and to know you more, to go into the depth of Christ, to move beyond religious activities, but to follow in denial, death, and dependence. And let your will be done, Lord, in all of our lives. I ask for repentance and faith, and I ask for conversion, Lord, that people who don't know Christ can know him today as treasure. It's the only way to be reconciled to God. And let your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Sound like I was going to preach my sermon and my prayer, right? <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. Um, so I want to preface by comparing and contrasting two Jesuses. And by that, I'm talking about the Jesus of the Bible and then the Jesus of modern day culture and maybe even modern day Christianity. Perhaps even the Jesus that some of you in here may be worshiping. Take, for example, the Jesus of the Bible. He is God in the flesh. The I am that I am, the Holy One, the King of Israel. There is no one like him. He is God, the incarnate one. That's what the Bible teaches about Jesus, right? But yet we have the Jesus of the culture who is weak, pitiful, a beggar, blonde hair, Blue-eyed, a hippie with nice, funny colors, Technicolor dream coat. That's the Jesus that's being painted in culture today. And further still, if you look on, you see the Jesus of modern-day Christianity is only a self-help guru. A Jesus who says nothing hard to people who want to follow him. Says nothing about denial. Says
says nothing about the cross. That's the Jesus that people have fashioned in their minds and have followed. Perhaps some of you in here are worshiping that Jesus because it's easy, right? It's easy to fashion behind to follow someone who determines and wants nothing from you. He doesn't want your life, that Jesus anyway. That Jesus of modern day Christianity or modern day culture doesn't want your life. He says no hard words to you. And today what I want to do is I want to just look closely at what the Jesus of the Bible says to people who want to follow him. What does he say to people who want to become his disciples? This isn't radical Christianity what I'm going to talk about today. It's Christianity 101. This isn't, oh, so man, you've, you've kind of gone. You're, you're gone. No, no, this is for all of us. So let's just survey real quick what the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, says. So if you have your Bible, I need you to turn with me to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. And our main text will be Mark 8, 34 to 38. But what I want to do right now is I just want to survey the hard words of Jesus. And I want you to compare what you thought about Jesus to what Jesus says. So Mark 7, 13 to 14. Matthew 7, I'm, I apologize. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. We don't hear this. What we hear is say a prayer. Fill a form. And automatically you're saved. That's easy. Live how you want to live, but eternal life awaits you. Does that sound like what Christ is saying here? No. Thank you. He's saying that the road that leads to destruction is easy. But the road that leads to eternal life is hard. And guess what? Few find it because people are accustomed to easy things they just want ease they want to glide through life they want no difficulty a nice retirement plan nothing nothing difficult no life of suffering or pain just ease but that life leads to destruction again another hard word of christ Matthew 10, 34 to 37. Christ says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is not an easy road. You want to be a follower of Christ? You want to be a Christian? Love your father less than you love Christ. And if we look again at Luke 14, real quick. And these are passages we have like highlighted in our Bibles. You don't find them on people's like refrigerators. Oh, I got to hate my mother. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> Luke 14, 25 to 27. Now, large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you don't give up all your possessions. You got to hate people. And if you avoid that, you can't be his disciple. This isn't easy. This isn't the Jesus of modern day culture. Modern day culture, if, if they saw Jesus, if Jesus of modern day culture sees a large crowd, what does he say? Fill a form. Come to the front, say a prayer real quick. But Jesus Christ in Luke at least is losing people at hello. He's losing people. You want to follow me? Hate someone. Whoa. No cross bear. Whoa. We would have left. This is Christ's method of modern day event. This is Christ's method of, of his evangelism. I mean, modern day evangelism, at least not with Michael, is... You, you, you know, you're a bad person. Just, just say a prayer after me and then we're going to, and then you're automatically a Christian. But those, that isn't what Christ does. One more. John 12, 25. Those who love their lives lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. These are the hard sayings of Jesus. And I wonder if this is the Jesus you know and worship. Now, we're going to be looking at Mark 8, verse 34 to 38. And I'm going to read it real quick. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if any would come after me, that is, if any would become my followers, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also be ashamed when he, he will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Christ is saying, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. 
take up your cross and follow me. And just for a preliminary, the first thing we notice is that you can't have one without the other. You can't say on one hand, I'm going to deny myself, but I'm not going to take up my cross. And now I'm surely not going to follow Jesus. And you can't say, I'm going to carry my cross in a self-martyrdom sense, but I'm not going to deny myself and follow Jesus. And then I am certain of it that you cannot say, I'm going to follow Christ, but have nothing to do with the cross, ours, and have nothing to do with denial. But isn't that what we see? Many people claim faith. Many people claim to follow Jesus, right? But there's nothing in their life which displays denial or death. Nothing. So my question is, are they disciples? Are they followers of Christ if there is no denial and no cross-bearing? Think about that. So let's just look at the, the context real quick. In verse 27 to 33, before verse 34 to 38, verse 27 to 30, Christ asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? They give various answers. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And they say, you're the Messiah. Peter says it. He blurts it out. You're the Messiah. He gives a correct analysis of him see because he was the messiah they had pictured a glowing future for himself and them they thought he was going to come reign in jerusalem put all nations under his feet they thought he was just going to come and wreck ship come at the romans but then in verse 31 he tells them the son of man must suffer he must die and be raised up they weren't expecting this which is why peter no and rebukes him because peter's like man if we're following you we're gonna get the glory right let's do it but jesus is like it's a calvary road there's a cross before the crown there's suffering before glory. We'll get back to that in a minute. So this is why Jesus rebukes Peter in verse 33. Because Peter's mind was on, was on earthly things, but not on God's interests. So what Christ does is he begins to educate people, crowd, and disciples on what it really will look like to follow me. Him, not me. Don't follow me. Follow me as I follow him, though. Amen. What does it look like if you want to follow Christ? What's it going to take? Verse 34a. Christ calls the crowd and his disciples. Meaning that the disciples needed to hear it. They needed a reaffirmation of what it means to follow Jesus. Because they thought, glory, he thought, suffering. So maybe you're here 
and you're a Christian, you profess faith in Christ. You need to hear this. This isn't for the unbeliever alone, but it's for you too. It's for me. I need to hear this. The guy behind the mic. Or maybe you're here, you're part of the crowd. Maybe you're here, you just come to church. I, I don't know. And you might come because they're from females, maybe. Or it's true, I'm, I'm telling you, I did it for 15 years of my life. We're at. Um, or, maybe, or maybe you're here because you have a nagging parent at home. You just like Sunday away from him or her. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But you need to hear this. See, the crowd were following Jesus because back in, back in um, the beginning of the chapter, he fed them. So maybe they were just following him for some food. Oh, we just want some food. You know, we're just going to follow him. Food. We just want some food. We just want some blessing. Or maybe they were following him because he could heal some infirmities. But then what he does is he takes this opportunity to teach them on what it looks like to follow him. And he sets out the rules. He says, if any would come after me, meaning if any would become my followers, let them. He does it. Not the disciples, not the crowd. We don't determine how to follow Jesus. He determines how we follow him. This isn't a polite request. Christ isn't knocking at the door of their heart. He is an unbended knee, pleading, please follow me. He knows who he is. And he says, if you want to follow me, this is what you have to do. So get that out of your mind that you determine how to follow him. He determines how you follow him. And we know it's that it's a universal call. It's for everybody, if any would. But it doesn't lead to universalism. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to come to him. Judas was in the crowd. He was with the disciples. Something to think about also. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through what he says. Deny himself. Take up your cross and follow me. Point one. Deny himself. We know it's that denial of self is not merely self-denial. Because when we hear this, we automatically think self-denial is going to give up something for a season. But that isn't what Christ is saying here. It includes it, but it's not it. See, self-denial suggests that you just give up something for a season, for a moment, like Lent, or my video games, if I still play those. I'll let you be the judge. My MacBook, my iPhone, well, I don't have an iPhone, but my Blackberry. I would like an iPhone, though. Uh, but you get the point. It's not just giving up something for a season because self-denial can also be rooted in self-righteousness. 
I'm just giving up something so that people can look at me and think I'm dope. If you don't know what that means, UrbanDictionary.com. But that's not what he's saying here. See, in the Greek, it means to disown, to refuse to associate with, or have companionship with someone. i say that again. It means to disown, to refuse to associate with, or have companionship with someone. Christ is saying, if you want to follow me, disown... refuse to associate with or have companionship with you. Not a thing. Notice there are no religious rights here. There's no church coming. There's no, you ain't got to come to church and be my disciple. It's just, it's you. Refuse to associate with yourself. And we understand that better when we realize who we are. Scripture teaches that we're sinful beings, dead in our sins, self-righteous, self-affirming, selfish, self-glorifying. It's all about me. It's all about you because of our sinful nature. Romans 1 to 3. Just read it. That'll explain to you. Jeremiah 17, 9. Genesis 6 to 8. Christ saying, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Refuse to associate with you. You guys remember when when Peter denied Jesus in Matthew 26, I believe? And he said, I do not know the man. That's the same. That's what Christ is saying here. That I don't know the man. If, if you're going to follow me, you don't know you. So you had dreams. You were chasing your goals, pursuing your life. Trying to have your best life now. It was all about you. But Christ says, if you want to follow me, deny you. And we notice how countercultural this is. How it's in our culture, even in some modern-day churches, it's all about you. Christ does the opposite. He doesn't affirm you. If you want to follow me, you can't function as you, is what he's saying. This is a death blow to man-centeredness. It's a death blow to the epicenter of our lives. If you want to follow me, disown, refuse to associate with, or have companionship with you. So every goal, every aspiration, no more. No desires that are yours. Because everything is flowing out of a sinful heart anyway. (laughs) So the good that we thought we were doing... It's actually for self-glorification so that people can look at us and think, oh, he's a really good young chap. Oh, he, he provided for his mom. Look at how good he is. So it goes from meology to theology. 
It goes from self-centeredness to a doxological praise of God, which is just a big way of saying we worship God. It goes from man-centeredness to other-centeredness, primarily and exclusively God-centeredness. Now, I was, as I was studying and preparing for this, I was wondering, like, Lord, why did you put this first? Why denial? Why not carrying your cross? You know, like, you could have, that could have happened. But as I started to think about the biggest idol in my life, the biggest idol in your life, it's me. I'm the biggest idol in my life. You're the biggest idol in your life. If you didn't know it, you know now. <laughs> because you want to determine your way. You want to determine what car you drive, where you live, what you wear, how you spend, what you do. It's all about you. That's idolatry. And Christ is saying, if you want to follow me, one true Lord can't share the throne with the fake Lord. Because we're fake. Because we don't control our lives. We don't determine our lives. I'm only standing here because of God. Christ shatters the mirror that we stare at and says, if you want to follow me, I must be Lord. It's about lordship. He doesn't stroke our egos. Like, it's all right. You know, you, you can hang in there. Still about you a little bit. No, he says, it's not about you. There is no you. Can I get an amen? amen. Cool. Thank you. Denial is not just about gross sins. It's about laying a life down, laying your life down and saying, I sacrifice my life. You are Lord. So let me ask you, are you, are you denying yourself? Or are you still holding on to one or two or 20 sins? Are you still trying to determine what you do? Is it still about you? Is your heart affirming that you are Lord? Or does it say that he is Lord above everything? Christ wants your time, your money, your dressing, your hair, the guy you date, the woman you marry. He wants everything. And if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to deny yourself. So now we say like Paul in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I don't live anymore. That's what Paul is saying. I don't live anymore. Esso? I don't, I don't know that guy. But Christ, he lives in me. So search your hearts. Ask the Lord, am I denying myself? Have I even denied myself? Have I thought up something that isn't biblical? Point number two. 
He who wants to follow Christ must first deny himself, but must also take up his cross. Now realize at this point, we have presupposed notions of what taking up your cross means. So let me first of all destroy that by telling you what it doesn't mean. And then let me proceed by telling you what it does mean and what it represents. Taking up your cross does not mean a chain or a bracelet. It, I, got, I got one right now. It just doesn't mean what the rappers wear. That is not taking up your cross. Taking up your cross also doesn't mean a nagging family member or a nagging member at work. Somebody, one of your work colleagues, I'm just taking up my cross by following them. That's not what it means. When the first century listeners were hearing this, when Christ said, if anyone wants to follow me, take up their cross, the first thing that came to their mind was, not that, It was death by crucifixion. First thing, nothing else. They weren't thinking, I'm going to go home and I'm going to go put up with my mother-in-law. It's death. Most shameful way to die. Let me read you one of the, one of the Bible dictionaries says about crucifixion. It says, after a criminal's condemnation, it was custom for a victim to be scourged he was then made to carry the crossbeam like a slave to the scene of his torture and death. Always outside the city, while a herald carried in front of him the title. The condemned man was stripped naked, laid on the ground with the crossbeam under his shoulders and his arms or his hands were tied or nailed to it. This is what it means to take up your cross. It means death. 30,000 Jews in Christ's time alone were crucified by Romans. That's what it means. So I ask, are you prepared to die for Jesus? Luke 14, 27 says, whoever doesn't bear his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You are unable to follow Jesus if you don't carry your cross for what it means and represents. So I ask, are you just aiming to preserve your life? Because cross bearing is the opposite of self-preservation. Because when they saw them carrying the cross beam, that's a dead man walking. Now are you, am I, is Christ precious enough? Is what he's offering, eternal life, precious enough to give your life up for? Or are you too busy trying to preserve your life? Are you trying to save your life? And say, I'm, I'm not going to carry my cross, yo. Well, you can't be his disciple. Disciples don't talk like that. Listen to what one writer put it. It's one, one writer put. 
The language of cross bearing has been corrupted by overuse. Bearing a cross has nothing to do with a trying family relationship. It is instead what we do voluntarily as a consequence of our commitment to Jesus. Cross bearing requires deliberate sacrifice and exposure to risk and ridicule in order to follow Jesus. It's a consequence of our commitment to him. One theologian said that accepting the gospel is at the same time accepting suffering. At the same time, accepting cross-bearing. And we're going to look at now what it represents. See, on one hand, it represents death. No, it means death. But on the other hand, it represents shame, reproach, humiliation, suffering, hatred, alienation, and even death. So I ask you. Are you carrying your cross? Are you being humiliated for Christ's sake? Are you being hated for Christ? Or are you liked by everyone? Does everybody like you? Are you just trying to avoid cross-bearing? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that when Christ calls a man, he calls him, bids him to die. Die, Christian. If you want to follow me, Christ says, come. Yes, come. No, no, he's calling you. Come. But come and die. Don't, don't come and try to preserve your life. We're not, we're not in the business, Christ is saying, of life preservation. We're in the business of dying, in a sense. And if you think I'm just... This is just the ramblings of a young theologian. Second Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise in the scriptures. A promise. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to have union with him, you want to be saved and have a sal salvific work in your life. If that happens, and if you desire to live a godly life, that is, you want to proclaim Christ everywhere you go, speak boldly about him, you will be. You will be persecuted. Resolve that in your mind now. Suffering will come if it hasn't. And it will come again if it has. Until the end of the age. This is not something we hear regularly. We hear other promises in the scriptures. But pain, humiliation, alienation, hatred. We don't hear this. John 15, 15. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. They, it will happen at work, at school. If. You want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Acts 14, 22. They were strengthened. They, there they strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. 
through many that we must. There's no avoiding it. Philippians 1, 29 says, it's been granted that you not only believe in Christ Jesus, but you suffer for him. God has given you the gift of salvation, but within that gift is suffering. It's alienation, it's hatred, it's persecution. It might mean death. J.C. Ryle, famous um, bishop of Liverpool, old school guy, one of my favorites, the reason I'm growing my beard. Um, he said, salvation is undoubtedly all of grace. It is offered freely in the gospel to the chief of sinners without money and without price. But all who accept this gift of salvation must prove the reality of their faith by carrying the cross after Christ. They must not think to enter heaven without trouble, pain, suffering, and conflict on this earth. They must be prepared to take up their cross, the cross of doctrine, the cross of practice, the cross of holding the faith which the world despises, and the cross of living a life which the world ridicules as too strict and righteous overmuch. These are hard sayings, but they admit no evasion. The words of our Lord are plain and unmistakable. If we will not carry the cross, we shall never wear the crown. Those who do not carry the cross should not expect to wear a crown. So I ask you, genuinely, are you carrying the cross or are you carrying a cushion? Are you comfortable with just being comfortable and liked? When Christ calls you, he doesn't call you to a comfortable life. He calls you to a painful life, not a miserable one, but a painful cross-bearing life. Are you doing that? Have you been persecuted for your faith? I'm not saying go out and look for persecution. But if you are speaking boldly about Christ, if your faith just permeates through you, it will happen. It'll show in humiliation, reproach, alienation, and hatred. This doesn't mean that there aren't going to be seasons of peace. There will be. What we live in a culture where they're not trying to kill us. Unfortunately, I say that because true disciples, when people are trying to, you, you get to know who the true disciple is. The first one who came to Christ, rocky ground. Second one came to Christ, but on account of the word and persecution, left that's the parable of the sower see the link that suffering and bearing suffering proves that we're his when we suffer it just shows that we belong to christ and glory awaits people who suffer so again 
If you just want to be liked and loved by the world, not suffer, just live comfortably, have a great job, no troubles, perfect retirement plan, Christ, you might not want to come to him. The link, I wish I had time, there's a, the link between suffering and glory in Romans 15, Romans 8, 15 to 17. If we suffer, we will be glorified with him. And Christ calls people who suffer for him blessed. He says you're blessed if you suffer. Matthew 5, 11 to 12. I was going to read the whole thing out, but I got that 10 minute signal, that gun signal, pal. Thirdly. Oh, Amen. Amen, brother. 20 minutes. Cool. I don't have that. I don't have that gun signal. Cool. So let's read it. Let's read Matthew 5, 10 to 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, on, against you falsely on my account. Blessed, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Son of God calls you blessed. So, will you suffer for him? Will you bear reproach for Christ in the workplace? Or at school, will you? Cross before the crown. Thirdly, those who want to follow Christ, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then as I got to this point in my study, I thought that I want to just camp here for a minute because I want to ask the question, who is it that's saying follow me? Is it just a guru, a, a rabbi, little help me, like Christ can be there anyway? Or is it someone else? So listen to these words from John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. John said, look, here is the Lamb of God. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. Jesus said before Abraham was I am. Do we see who it is that's calling us to follow him? See, if Jesus was just a man, lunatic or legend, if he was just a self-helper, a guru, you could ignore this. But because Jesus Christ is God, because he holds all, because the mountains melt like wax before him, because he speaks and things happen, 
because he came down in the incarnation, veiled his deity, wasn't void of it, just veiled it. Because he's God in the flesh, we say yes, Lord. We say yes to God. What a privilege it is to follow God. See, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, this is hard, and death, denial, ah. God is saying this. God is saying, follow me. God is. Not anyone else but God. So what are you going to do with that? Are you going to just reject it? Because you're rejecting God. Some of you in here might have hardened your heart. You might have said, nah, I ain't. man, that's just telling me to lose my job here, fam. Like, I don't want to do that, <laughs> you know. But God is saying this. He's not saying lose your job, but he is saying deny yourself and take up your cross and be content with wherever that keeps you and wherever that takes you. God is saying follow me and he's saying follow me firstly in imitation 1 John 2 6 says if you say you abide walk as he did so we must follow his example and be prepared to bear what he bore bear the shame reproach hatred alienation and suffering be prepared to bear what he bore Follow him in imitation. Hebrews 12, 13 says, let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the, the, the abuse that he endured. Let's go outside the camp where suffering is. Let us go. Let's pack our bags and actually go to suffering. Yes. Let's go there. That's what he's saying. I'm not... I'm not saying that. He is. Let's go outside the camp and bear the abuse that he endured. See, when Christ, he was going to Golgotha, he was going to the cross, going to suffer and be glorified by the Father. We must be prepared to do this. And secondly, we follow in obedience. If you read the account of the call of the disciples from Mark 1, 16 to 20, they left everything. And I mean everything, like lucrative businesses, family members, life itself, fish. They left it all. And Christ is saying, if you want to follow me, follow in obedience that when I call you, Follow me. Obey me immediately, not later, but now. We must be prepared to follow Christ and leave all. This, that's why he says, hate your mother. Like, are you prepared to follow him like that? If Christ called you today and says, leave everything you have and go to the jungle somewhere and proclaim my name. Are you prepared to do that? And we follow independence, that mean, which means that we are dependent on the one that we are obedient to and are imitating. And our attitudes to this should be like Ruth's in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, when she said to Naomi, where you go, I go. 
And where you lodge, I lodge. That should be our attitudes. So that's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Denial, death, and obedience. So I ask, are you? And we know the text doesn't finish there. There are eternal ramifications for not accepting this. Verse 35 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I'm going to come back to the end of verse 35 at the, the end of the sermon because I feel like that part is like the greatest hope. But do you see what Christ is saying here? Christ is saying, if you don't desire to deny yourself, take up your, Christ and, take up your cross and follow me, you're saving your life and there are eternal ramifications, meaning hell awaits you. I'm not saying this. Those who choose to save their lives will lose it. Those who choose not to deny themselves or take up their cross or follow Christ will lose their life in an eternal sense. So you can save your life here now on earth. You can have the best life now. You can have it. But what awaits you is not the greatest life, but it's hell. It's eternal separation from God. No more common grace. No more general revelation. Just God's wrath pouring on you for eternity. That's the warning. Verse 36 to 38 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Verse 36 to 37 is not just talking about monetary gain. It's not just about gaining the whole world in money sense. It's about saving your life, preserving it. Keep hitting these things, yo. And the question is, what gain is there? What gain is there in saying yes to the world and saying no to Christ? What gain is it? Where, where is the gain? If this world is being destroyed, if Christ, if God is coming to destroy it all, what gain is there? One theologian says, supposing that a man gains the world, enjoys everything the world can give, and is rich, increased with goods, and in need of nothing, supposing that man gains the whole world at the cost of the life of his soul, he is a loser by the bargain. Your soul is at stake here if you choose to reject this. You don't want to follow Christ? You want to say, forget this, yo. Eternity in hell awaits you. And then when he comes back, he's going to be ashamed of you the same way you were ashamed of him in this sinful and adulterous generation. There's nothing you can give in exchange for your soul is what Christ is saying here. Your soul is vitally important because it's what lives on. This is going to fade. But your soul lives on. And eternity hangs in the balance of accepting this word or rejecting this word. 
That's the hardness of it. That's the warning of it. So I ask you, what are you going to do today? Are you going to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him? Or are you going to say, nah, I ain't. man, forget it. Your soul is at stake. That's the easy road that leads to destruction. And like I said, I was going to come back to verse 35 because I feel like verse 35 in all of this, I was talking to my friend Craig from Birmingham. He was like, S, where's the hope? <laughs> where's the hope in this, in, this, in this sermon? Where is it? I said, it's here. In verse 35, at the end of it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Eternity with God awaits you if you accept this. There is no hell for you. There is no, I'm ashamed of you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Rather, there is, come, my good and faithful servant. So if you're looking for hope, this is it. You're going to spend eternity with God if you say yes to denial, say yes to death, and say yes to obedience. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he can't keep to then gain what he can't lose. So you're not foolish if you are hated for the sake of Christ. Because you're given what you can't keep. And then you're gaining what you can't lose. You can't lose eternity. It's yours. So I conclude with just John 6. When the disciples, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to briefly talk about it. When, when Christ says other hard words to his disciples, and then Peter says, Christ asks him, are you going to leave me? And then Peter says, who are we to go to? You have the words of eternal life. Like, who are we to go to? Like, Peter saw something in Christ that no one else saw as they were leaving him. He knew that eternal life was solely found in Christ. And if Christ said, eat my flesh, drink my blood... I'm going to do it. It's hard. But if he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you're going to do it because he's God. And in Matthew 13, we read of the man who went and sold everything for that one treasure in the field. One, he sold everything with great joy, Scripture says, not miserably. Some of you here looking like mad, miserable, like, man, he is really calling me to, to do this. It's cold, right? But he's saying, do this with great joy. I just, I just pray that you guys take up your cross and follow him. And you deny yourself. You say, no more me, no more Esso, no more Stephen. It's GP. You know, no more... No more Sean just crying at the back. You know, just, just Christ knowing him as treasure, seeing him for who he is, and knowing that suffering is for buffering to make you more in love with him. Like you suffer so that you can show him off 
and so that in the end you can be glorified with him. I love it. I love it. Like, I'll go to a jungle if I need to. To show Christ off, to lose my life for him, I'm gone. In your workplace, at school, you might be alienated. You might be hated. You might not be the coolest person there, but there's a reason for that. Amen? Let's pray. Um, Father God, we just thank you. Um, thank you for, for your word, Lord. It's hard. We know. But we just ask for your grace. We ask for your grace to, to do what you've commanded us to do. To do what you said we should do. To follow you with all our lives. Love the Lord with all your heart, might, and soul. With all of you. May we lose our lives for you, Lord. May, may there be some in here that you are calling to, mish, to missions. Some in here that you are calling to go and die for you. Let your will be done. May we reflect on these truths, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.